to do. So I'm thankful for you being here today. I'm thankful that we get to uh, talk about uh, the good news of Jesus. And everybody loves good news, right? I mean, we heard some good news just a minute ago about what God is doing at our overseas campuses. And not just there in Arrington. I mean, God is about to plant a campus through LifePoint in Arrington. Amen. That's good news, y'all. I mean, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. And, man, there's something about good news that we love to hear. I mean, everybody would love to hear some good news, especially now, right? It's 2020. We need some good news. I mean, think about what some good news that you might could hear this week. If you walked in to your office tomorrow and your, and your manager says, hey, guess what? Good news. You get a 50% raise. That'd be some good news, amen? I mean, or someone calls you up and says, hey, your mortgage, your car payment, don't worry about it. It's taken care of. That's good news. You turn on the TV and see that Tennessee gets a new coach tomorrow. Man, that would be some good news. Go dogs. I'm a Georgia fan. Go dogs. So, so but that would be some good news, amen? I mean, we think we wake, we, we might wake up tomorrow, tomorrow morning and it would be like Dallas, and it was all a big dream. That was for the older folks in the room like me. You know, it was all a dream. COVID didn't happen. The CDC's not worried about anything. Man, that would be some good news. And man, what makes good news? Have you ever thought about what makes good news good news? It's outside of the scope of our reality. That's what makes good news good news. But as a pastor, I'm reminded, as a preacher, I'm reminded that the good news literally is the gospel. The gospel is translated good news. And so when I go back and I think about good news, especially during this time, I think about the best news of all. Jesus leaving his throne in heaven to be born on earth a little over 2,000 years ago when an angel named Gabriel appeared to a young teenage virgin named Mary. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me set the scene for you. Picture this, uh, a, a people, a world who is desperate, a world that is hopeless, a world that is full of sin, a world that is depressed, a, a world that is lonely, and I'm not talking about just today, I'm talking about then, when Jesus came into the scene and, the, and, and the, the people had not heard from God in hundreds and hundreds of years. They knew and they were, they were waiting in anticipation for a Messiah to come. Then out of nowhere in the backwoods, little town called Nazareth, an angel spoke and a baby was born. And so if you have your Bibles, let's take a look about that story uh, in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, as you're turning there, I would echo what Matt said. Grab one of those Bible reading plans, grab and uh, gr download it from the app, and journey with us over the next year as we dive into God's Word. It, I'm excited to see what God is going to do in our church, through our church, as we go through uh, the, the Word together. I'm excited about that. And, as, and just to remind you, we've been, over the past few weeks at LifePoint, uh, we've been going through this series called The Real King. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about keeping our eyes on the king. We talked about the kingdom or the curse. We talked about the king of kings, and we talked about knowing the king. We talked about knowing the king. And this morning in our text, I want to submit to you the real king, the gracious, perfect, sovereign king. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Hopefully you have turned to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 26. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, looking back at the Old Testament, we see mentions of the coming Messiah over and over. Nearly 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah mentioned and prophesied details of his coming. Now, imagine hearing that the Messiah was going to come and waiting. And you know it's, you know it's spoken from the Lord and waiting. And you hear prophecy after prophecy and waiting, and he doesn't come. And, there, and then Malachi's written the last word from the Lord in the Old Testament. Malachi's written, and then there's 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. And then it happened. God spoke into a dark world and announced that he was going to send his son, his only son, to be given the throne of his father David to rule and reign forever as the real king. And that would be amazing. And Luke gives us a glimpse of what kind of king was coming, what kind of king Jesus was, or God was sending. And if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, write this down. Uh, well, let's take a look at the gracious king, the gracious king. In verse 28, Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Greeting, Greetings, O favored one. The word favor literally means grace. You'll hear me say that a lot. When I, when I teach, when I preach, I love to really dive into what the meanings, you know, the Greek words, the Hebrew and the Old Testament. I really like to dive into what the meanings were. And literally favored means grace. Now, let me share a few common misconceptions about Jesus' mother, Mary. One misconce misconception that Mary was perfect. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Uh, it, it, she's perfect. Pope Pius the, uh, X declared Mary was so full of grace that she had some left over to give to some people. And she wasn't, uh, he elevated her to a spot where she didn't just receive grace, she dispensed it out. Well, let me tell you, uh, it, 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 this is what some people would call fake news. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Fake news. I mean, he, she, she, she might have grace, but she's not giving it out, and she's not listening to those. No matter how many times you say, Hail Mary, full of grace, she's not going to give it to you. I mean, that's just something. She was highly favored, full of grace, because she was chosen to be the earthly mother of the real king. And in spite of who she was and what she had done, rather than because of who she was and what she had done. Now, Mary was highly favored. Now, another misconception with Mary was that she was in her late 20s. She had fair skin. 
She was, she was holy. She was perfect. A lot of us, when we think about Mary, we think about Mary like this on the screen. A lot of you think of us, we think about Mary as this. That's, a, a, that's, again, what some would call fake news. All right? Mary would be more like this, a 14-year-old girl. She was a 14-year-old. That's my daughter, Lily. She's so cute, taking selfies. Of, you know, that's what teenagers do. And so, I mean, she, she, was, she was a young lady. She was a 14-year-old girl. Another uh, misconception would be that God chose Mary because she was somebody, because she was known in her community, because she had a high-paying job, and, or her parents, came, she came from money, and they had influence. She had mad experience. I mean, she was, she was somebody, and that would be what we would call Fake news, okay, three of you are with me. All right, fake news. From an earthly perspective, there was nothing special about Mary. I mean, she was a peasant. She was a young teenager. She was possibly illiterate. I mean, she lived potentially in a a one-room shack with her family and her animals. I mean, she was from a small hick town called Nazareth. Now, let me tell you something. I know about hick towns. I grew up in one right outside of Atlanta. I mean, my town was so small, we had a a commercial for our town, and the slogan in the commercial was called, it said, where's Loganville? Like, literally, nobody knew. It was a blip on the map. That was the same way with Nazareth. You've heard of a one red light town? This was a one well town. That's how Nazareth was. I mean, there was no mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament, none. Even when Jesus was calling his disciples, and Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, hey, this guy from Nazareth, he's here, the Messiah's here. Nathaniel looks at him and goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, it's that kind of town. You have to remember that Mary was chosen in spite of who she was, what she had, had and what she had done, not because of it. And if you really think about it, none of the birth story of Jesus makes sense. That the real king would leave his heavenly throne to be born of a woman with no significance but that was his grace. Somebody say grace. That's what, that, that was his grace. God loved you enough to send his son to earth. And Jesus was humble enough to be born to a lowly virgin, to ultimately live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins. I mean, we think about it. When Matthew even talks about the significance that Gabriel told Joseph to name his son, Jesus, literally meaning salvation of Yahweh, ultimately saving his people from their sins. You and I, he came to save. And that's one of the many, many things I love about the Christmas story of Christ's birth. It proves that God doesn't just choose anyone because of your merit, your ability, your intellect. No, because it's not where you came from. It's not about what you've done. And listen, it's not about you. It's all about him. It's what he's done. It's not who you are, it's who he is. And it's all about grace. It's all about grace. And Jesus is not just a gracious king. If you're taking notes, number two, he's a perfect king. He's a perfect king. Now, there were three stages of a Jewish wedding in that day. You had the engagement, 
the betrothal and the marriage. The engagement, betrothal, and the marriage. Now, the engagement, I kind of wish some of this stuff kind of happened now because the engagement portion would be two dads going, hey, I want your son to marry my daughter, and he says, I want your, my son to marry your daughter, and they go, okay, let's work this out. And that was the engagement. That's not what happens now, but that's what happened then. And then you move into the betrothal stage, and the betrothal stage lasted about a year. And that's when the, the two uh, parties who are going to get married, they say, okay, you're going to be my husband, you're going to be my wife, deal. They shake on it, and then about what well, they probably, I don't know if they gave a high five, I don't know. But they made vows, and they said this is going to be about a year, and then a year later, they're going to get married. And that marriage, that's when the union of the two would be consummated. Teenagers, ask your parents what that means. Now, Mary and Joseph were in the betrothal stage. They're in the betrothal stage, and they've made the vows to one another, and Mary would be for Joseph, and Joseph would be for Mary, and the only way out of the betrothal stage was a divorce. That was the only way out. And I'd imagine Mary would be like most brides-to-be today. I mean, she spent her days planning this this wedding. She spent her nights dreaming of this wedding. What kind of music was going to be played? What she's going to wear? The venue, the flowers. She was thinking about all of that stuff. And then Gabriel shows up. And he says, greetings, O favored one. You remember that prophecy about a virgin giving birth? That's you. How about a conversation started for that one? Come on. And Mary says, whoa, whoa, whoa. How? You know, she's thinking in her mind, how can this be? You know, I, I, I know where babies come from, and they don't come from storks. And, you know, I, 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 I have not any experience in this. And so how is this going to happen? And check verse 29. It says, I love this. If you've got a pen, underline what she, she, her emotion in this. She was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled by what Gabriel said. And this even more so shows her innocence and our humility in this. And Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will conceive a son in you because he'll be the son of God. He won't be the son of Joseph because he isn't Joseph's son. He's the son of God because he's God's son. What does it mean that Jesus is the son of God? Does it mean that he's like my son Eli? Not, not really. It doesn't mean that God fathered Jesus like you fathered your son. It means that he's God made manifest in human form. And I love how the writer of Hebrews says, he says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, the exact duplicate of the nature of God. That's who Jesus is. And that is what got Jesus killed. That's, that's how he got killed. He claimed to be the son of God. In other words, Jesus was saying that he was God. And if we think about this, this birth story, it really, there's the birth is not the miracle of the story. I mean, his birth wasn't really different than millions of babies that were born before or after. It was the conception. It was the conception. Jesus was born like you and I, but his conception wasn't anything like us. Because he wasn't just a man, he was God. Now, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full humanity and deity in one person. Jesus could have descended from heaven, but we'd never thought of him as human. We could have, or excuse me, he could have been born from two parents, but we would have never considered him divine. The virgin birth allowed Jesus to be fully human 
without inheriting sin. Without inheriting sin. You see, when we're born, we are born with this Adamic nature inside of us. Coming from Adam, from the beginning where sin entered the world, that's where we get the word damn from, to condemn to hell. That's where we get that word from. And so we're born with this, this nature inside of us. And since the fall in the garden, it has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, even to us. And if Jesus had been conceived by the Spirit, he would have been uh, had the sin nature inside of him. If he had not been conceived by the Spirit, he would have had the sin nature inside of him as well. Because Jesus, but Jesus had no earthly father. And the conception and the line of sin was partially interrupted because Jesus didn't come from Adam. So the work of the Holy Spirit in Mary's conception prevented not only the transmission of sin from Joseph, but also from Mary. That's why Gabriel told Mary that Jesus would be holy. He would be perfect. He'd be sinless. Think about this. Jesus was just as innocent in the manger as he was on the cross. The virgin birth shows, that us, uh, shows us that salvation can never come and be done from anything that we do. It's all the work of God. Mary fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years, 700 years earlier when he said that the virgin will give birth to a son and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. We just sang about that. Man, Mary fulfilled the prophecy when I think about this, people will let you down all the time, right? Your parents, they may have let you down. Your teachers may have let you down. Your spouse may have let you down. Your pastor may let you down. Your president will let you down. Why will people let you down? Because of sin. It's in our nature. It's our sin nature. We have that in us. But because Jesus is the perfect king, he will never let you down. Somebody say perfect. We can trust him because he is perfect in his birth. He's perfect in his nature. He's perfect in his achievements. He's perfect in his salvation. And he's perfect in humility. Jesus truly is the perfect king. He's the perfect king. And not only is Jesus the gracious king, and not only is Jesus the perfect king, point number three, Jesus is the sovereign king. The sovereign king. I love what Gabriel told Mary in the time of her confusion. He says, nothing is impossible with God. If we were to dive into the literal meaning of that statement, again, literal meaning, we see that it's really translated, no word is impossible with God. That's something to write down. No word is impossible with God. You may have heard the saying, anybody ever heard the saying that your word is your bond? It, you know, your word, that's, what, that's what you stand on. God's word is so much more than ours. It's so much more trustworthy. It's so much more real. It's so much more faithful. God's word can create something out of nothing. God's word can part the seas. God's word can conquer armies with just a few soldiers. God's word can make a man survive in the belly of a great fish for three days. Not only that, God's word can put a baby in a virgin's womb. He's the perfect king. He's the gracious king. He's the sovereign king. God's word can do anything it wants because it's God's word. Because it's God's word. He's worthy to be trusted. One thing I love to think about is that nothing, 
takes God by surprise. He never flinches on his throne. He never looks down at, at, at his creation and goes, oh, I didn't see that happening. He's in full control. He's fully sovereign. And we use this word sovereign a lot here at LifePoint. Whether you hear it in sermons, you hear it in songs, you hear it in encouragement from people trying to encourage you. But think about it means not just in the Christmas story, but in your story. In your story. Christmas wasn't a backup plan. Christmas wasn't just something that, that God goes, oh, oh, yeah, it might be time. No, it was the plan from the beginning. If we even look back at Genesis 3. It was the plan since the crunching fruit was still ringing through the garden of Eden. It was God's plan. It weaved through the Old Testament. That's why it's so important. Grab one of those reading plans. You see the scarlet thread of Jesus being woven through the Old Testament till his birth and even past it. It's all about Jesus. He was in control the moment God was in control, the moment sin entered the world, and he was in control the moment he sent his son Jesus to be born from a virgin. God's in control. He's sovereign. And what does that mean for you? For you, God's word can take a dead marriage and give it life. God's word can take enemies and make them friends. God's word can heal the sick and make them healthy. God's word can restore your job back to what it was. God's word can bring a rebellious child back home. He's so worthy because he's so sovereign. He's worthy to be trusted. There's nothing impossible with God because we can stand on his word. He truly is the sovereign king. Somebody say sovereign. He truly is the sovereign king. And this is good news. This is such good news, the good news of the gospel that a gracious, perfect, sovereign king would leave his throne in heaven to be born on earth, to ultimately die for us, pay a debt that we could not pay. He paid that debt for us, that we might have life, to have it more abundantly. When I was in college, uh, I used to hang out with a guy named Jay. Jay was from South Alabama, and he was, a, he was blonde hair, blue-eyed, all-American football guy. I mean, he got all the war awards, and, man, God called him into ministry, and, man, he's preaching now. He, he's, he, he, he was in school to be a preacher. I was in school to be a youth pastor, and we, were, we would hang out all the time. And so we'd go and do Disciple Nows and youth camps together. And one day, Jay and I were riding to this, this camp, and we are riding in the car, and, and Jay and I stopped, you know, at the gas station to get some Funyuns and some, some, uh, some Slim Jims because we're poor college students and that's what we had and maybe a Mountain Dew or two. But, I mean, we're going on the way and Jay, he loved to tell people about Jesus. I mean, he was an evangelism machine. I mean, he'd tell people that, about Jesus who would listen to him, who wouldn't listen to him. He'd evangelize to a rock. He didn't care. Jay would tell anybody about Jesus. And I love the way Jay started out his, his, his conversations about Jesus. We were standing there, and this happened multiple times, but this one I remember. We were standing there at the gas station counter. We put our stuff down, and, the, and he's standing there. And without fail, he would ask a question every single time, and he would get the same response. It almost nine out of ten times, he'd get this same response. You want to know what the question was? 
Okay, one person does. All right, well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> he looked at the person and he says, have you heard any good news lately? And without fail, the person would go, nope. Every, almost every single time. He was ready for it, though. He was ready because he would look at that person right in the eyes with a smile on his face and say, well, I've got good news for you. Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. I've never forgotten that. I've used that several times in my own life. And I love this as we are thinking about the good news of the Christmas story right now, the good news of a gracious, perfect, sovereign king. Imagine, imagine if we decided to do that this week. Imagine just starting out conversations with the people that we might run into at Walmart who, who may cut us off while we're standing in line. Or imagine, you know, we're, we're Zooming somebody and you just say, hey, has anybody heard any good news lately? Even that call that you get from that warranty person about that van that you owned about six years ago. Hey, don't mean to interrupt, but can I tell you some good news? I mean, that's an easy conversation starter, right? Have you heard any good news lately? I mean, what do you think people's going to respond with now? It's 2020. <laughs> nope, haven't heard any good news in a year. Man, let me tell you some good news, especially now, Christmas season. Tell them about Jesus. Let's, let's start these conversations. I mean, whether there are people in your home or outside, we can share this good news with someone this week. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. <clears throat> I want to invite you to, to ask God right now. Just ask him a simple question. And if you're bold enough to ask this question, if you have enough courage to hear his response, ask God this simple question right now. God, who needs to hear that simple question of, have they heard any good news lately? Who can I share that with this week? If you pray that prayer honestly, Names will start popping in your head. Isn't it funny that you might be just riding down the road or you might be in your prayer time or in your quiet time and God just puts a name on your head and on your mind? That's usually about the time that God wants you to be praying for that person. So right now, it's no accident that that person came to your mind right now. And it's not an accident that the enemy's trying to tell you, no, 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 you don't need to talk to that person. You don't need to share the gospel with that person. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for that person right now. There's 7 billion people on the planet. God put that person on your heart and mind right now. You could be the only one on the whole planet praying for them right now. What a magnificent responsibility and gift we have. To go before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on someone's behalf. Pray that God would open up that opportunity and it would be so clear and it would be so easy. Pray that God would give you the courage and the boldness to share about the good news of Jesus. And maybe some of you in this room right now, maybe you just need to hear about the good news. That a king left his throne to be born as a servant, to live a perfect life, to never sin to ultimately go to the cross on our behalf, to die a real death, 
then raised from the dead three days later to prove that he was 100% God. He was 100% man. We see that through his birth. And we see that he was 100% God. And we see that through his resurrection. In this Christmas season, the best gift that you could ever give or get is Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, come find me after the service. Come find Matt after the service. Come find someone to chat with. Don't let today go by without receiving that free gift, that good gift, that awesome gift, the best gift that we could ever receive, Jesus. Lord, this week I pray, right now I pray, that you would give boldness to my friends, that you would give courage to my friends. Lord, I pray that you would give us the 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 boldness and the audacity to share you with someone, King Jesus. If we know you, someone loved us enough to tell you, tell us about you. So God, maybe this week, love someone else enough to tell them the good news of our risen King. This gracious, this perfect, this sovereign King named Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Praise your name today, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, and let's continue to worship this morning.